Thanks, Grace, for uh, reading scripture today. Uh, good to see everybody here today. I know today is, so yeah, I, I think it started, but it's supposed to be a lot of rain, so I guess it's good to be inside rather than outside. Um, thanks for joining us today for our Sunday worship. Um, we are now in this holiday season and uh, right after Thanksgiving, and you know what most churches do, a lot of churches do, maybe not so much our church, but a lot of churches uh, start uh, observing the holiday season by what we call Advent. Uh, Advent. Yeah, I don't know if you've heard that word before or if you've ever been to a church where they actually um, observed Advent. And Advent basically means coming. And it's a time before Christmas Day. So the whole month of December, a lot of churches are talking about Advent and trying to get into the Christmas spirit, so to speak, before actually Christmas Day comes. It comes, the word actually comes from the Latin word. It, it literally does mean the coming. And um, for centuries, in, in the tradition and in culture, Advent has been a time of spiritual reflection and a time of anticipation. Uh, but for the people of the Bible, Advent uh, was a little different. You see, for us, Advent uh, is fun because we know what's coming, right? Uh, we're always looking forward to Christmas Day, and we know what time it will be. It will be in a couple of weeks, and we expect it to be good or fun, at least. So for us today, Advent, this, this waiting, this coming is easy because it's finite. The time we wait is finite because we know what's ahead. But if we really think about it, waiting in life is not always so neat and orderly, is it? Particularly when you are waiting for things in life without knowing if it will ever come. For example, if you're single and you're thinking about a possibility of marriage and having a spouse, you're not sure all the time when or if it will ever come. If you're married and yet uh, looking forward maybe to having children and the possibility of children, and you're not sure all the time, is it? It's not a guarantee that that time will ever come. Maybe you have a relationship that that is kind of broken, and uh, you're kind of waiting for this relationship to be reconciled, to kind of make up and, and I don't know, be friends again and, and so forth. But right now you're just waiting, and you're not really sure and clear if that time will ever come. For some of us, it's our vocation. For others of us, maybe it's just our plans in life. You're planning for something, working towards something, but you're not quite sure when it's going to happen, and you're sort of waiting. Or worse, what if you've got bad news going on in your life? What if you're going through something hard, something terrible, and you're just waiting for it to end? And the only question you have is, how much longer? How much longer? You see, Advent, then, is more than just waiting for Christmas Day. Advent it necessarily involves the sense of longing, the sense of anticipation, when you're in a period of Advent, at least in the Bible's perspective, you're waiting for some good news in your life, but oftentimes it happens in the midst of your bad news, or maybe just no news. And good news is good news because of the bad news. If I were to ask you this afternoon, what would be your good news today? What are you waiting for, hoping for? And how are you waiting how are you preparing for that? You ever feel like sometimes in life 
no matter how good things are, that there is a longing sometimes we get for something more, that maybe what we have sometimes feels like it's just not enough. And if you've ever had that sense of waiting and longing, then you kind of know what the people of God have always been experiencing. Because longing and waiting has been a character trait of the people of God from the very beginning, from the very beginning of the Old Testament. You remember in Exodus chapter 2 when uh, the Israelites were under slavery, under Egypt, and they were crying out to God, and it says there in chapter 2 that God heard their longing, right? Because they were longing for freedom. They were waiting for a new beginning, but then you keep reading the Bible and you realize that Moses, you know, leads them out of Egypt. They actually get their freedom, but they end up wandering in the wilderness for like 40 years. And so during that time, there's another longing, a yearning for their land, for the promised land, to get to Canaan. How much longer, they kept asking. And finally, when they actually get their land, they get to Canaan, they're still longing, they're yearning now because they needed a leader. They wanted a leader, a king, a king. And what they really longed for was a good king like King David. Remember King David? He was their model king. He was their, the strong leader in character and in, in wisdom. He was a man of war and a man of, of, of righteousness. And they wanted a king like David who would restore the land, return their freedom, and rule as their righteous king. So the whole Old Testament, you could say that the people of God were in a people of, of an advent. They were always longing and waiting for something, right? And here and then in 703 BC, as they are longing for better days, here comes Isaiah. In Isaiah in chapter 9, he says this, For to us a child is born, a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. A child will be born, a son given to this nation, and he will be like this David that they've been longing for. He will rule like David with wisdom and dignity and honor. And then you come to our passage that was just read for us by grace today. John writes, or not John, but Mark writes, this is what John the Baptist says. The voice of the one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And then John appeared baptizing in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. All of that longing in the Old Testament and Mark chapter 1, the very first thing that Mark says is this. Here he is. Here he is. Get ready. Everything that we've been waiting for and looking for and longing for, the advent over years and years has now come to fruition. Get ready, John is saying. Jesus, the Son of God, is coming. The first Christmas is coming. So how does John the Baptist prepare the people to get ready for Christmas? How does John the Baptist prepare this, his people for Advent, the coming of a Savior? And he doesn't do it by singing Christmas songs or wrapping presents or even drinking eggnog. But what does he say in verse 4? Mark tells us, John proclaimed a baptism of repentance and the forgiveness of sins. He proclaimed 
repentance. How do you get ready? How do you prepare for the birth and coming of a Savior? How do you prepare people for Christmas? And John's answer is repent. Repent. Kind of a downer, isn't it, for a holiday season? You picture John the Baptist. It's Christmas Eve. He's dirty. He's been eating locusts. He's coming out of the wilderness. He's unshaven, and he screams out to everyone he goes by, Repent! Happy Advent, Merry Christmas. It's kind of ironic, in fact. You know that word, repent? um, I used to not like that word a lot. Because to me, that word, repent, when I heard it, especially growing up in church, it just sounds so like um, puritanical, um, religiously even outdated, like those old school preachers that weren't shouting on a sermon, repent. And when I heard that growing up as a Christian, or as a young Christian, or a seeker, or whatever you want to call it, what I really heard when I heard that word was, stop being bad, start being good, or else God's going to so, be so mad, he's going to make you burn. That's what I heard when I heard the word repent. It sounded pretty threatening to me more than anything else. And to be honest, when I heard it, it didn't really work on me then. Certainly, I don't think it works very well today. It oftentimes feels like religious bullying of some sort or something. Repent. But what's interesting in our passage is that that can't be what it meant when John talked about it. Because you look at verse 5, and it says that all of Judea, all of Jerusalem were going out to him, and they were being baptized by him. All these people, all these people kept flocking to him, confessing their sins, and were being baptized by John. So it means that I, I can't imagine that all these people attracted to what John was saying was doing it because he was bullying them with fear and threats. And here's why. The word for repentance, okay, in the Greek is this word metanoia, metanoia, that's what it means. But the word metanoia literally means changing your mind. That's what metanoia means. Repentance, metanoia, means changing how you think about something. Repentance is about changing behavior. But it's more than just changing behavior. And don't get me wrong, fear and threats, they can change people. It can change their behavior, at least for a little while. But fear and threats don't really change your thinking. And they certainly don't change your heart. And changing our hearts and minds is, I think, what God is after. Repentance, when John says repent, he's talking more than just clean up your act, get it together. But he's also talking, I think, about thinking new thoughts. In other words, where there's true repentance, there's not just a change in your behavior, but there's also a change in your thinking. And that thinking is hopeful. It's thoughts full of hope. Here's why. Good and bad things happen to us all the time. Good and bad things happen by us all the time. But you ever notice how easy it is to remember the bad, to dwell on the bad, but how hard it is to remember all the good that's come by, to dwell on the good. For example, let's say you have a friend, 
and your friendship with this person has been so good for many, many years, but then you find out that in one discussion, in one, one I guess, discussion you have with your friend, you find out this friend lied to you, lied to you, and you are so hurt. How could this friend who you considered a friend actually lie to you? But for what happens, for whatever reasons, now from that moment, every time you see this person, she's a liar. He's, a, he's just a liar. That is all you can see. There's a tendency, I think, in many of us, when we think about certain situations, maybe certain people in our lives, right, certain relationships we have, even when we think about ourselves, we get stuck in the same old kind of thinking, that there's nothing new. How many times have we said this about someone? I know that guy. He will never change. I know that girl, she, she's going to be the same. She's never going to change. How many times have we thought to ourselves, this is just how I am. I never get things I want. I'm, I'm not going to be a success. I'm, I'm, I might even be always a failure. It's just the way it is. This is one of the reasons I don't like MBTI exams. I know we like taking those things. You ever do that? I, I did it just to see. I, I did the cheap version, the 16 personalities test. I, you know, do you know why we like doing those things? Because even though we think we know ourselves, we like external validation of what we think we are. Right? So, I, I, you know, we do it. The reason I don't like those exams or those tests is because oftentimes what you see is after you finish it and you, you're given like four or five letters to describe who you are, immediately you are labeled, whether you realize this or not. And it may be true, though, the actual labels. It may, may be true. But oftentimes what could happen is you, you, it's self-fulfilled prophecy. You begin, oh, this is who I am, and therefore you start living it out. You start thinking yourself as this way. So if you're an introvert, you'll never be an extrovert because you're an I. Is it possible to at least once in a while become an extrovert? Would that be different for you? Right? We get stuck in old thoughts. It's hard to think of new thoughts, for example. And, and since we're in the holiday season, I know many of us will be spending time with family and friends. I mean, think about this. Every time I see my kids, I see 10-year-olds. They're not 10. They're not 5. They're not 10. They're, they're like 19 and, and 21 going on 22. They're different, but that's what I see in my head. That's how I think, and sometimes I wonder, for those of us who have children, if the quality of the relationships we have with our children directly correlates to how quickly we can keep up with the ways they change, to think new thoughts about who they are, because it's easy to get stuck on seeing our children, our friends, our siblings, our boss at work, anyone in our lives, in just always one way. And not to say that what you know about someone isn't true. Sure, maybe your boss really is a jerk. But is that the only thing he is? Is that the only thing she is? And maybe that friend really did lie to you, betray you. But is that all that person is? And maybe your kid, it, it really is selfish. But that can't be the only thing he or she is. And even the thoughts that we think about ourselves, those ones are the most dangerous. 
Those ones are the most deeply entrenched. What do you think about yourself? Would anyone who loved you ever think the same thing? Are those the thoughts a God who loves you and gave his life for you, would, they, would he think the same thing? Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not just saying here that we should be more positive and think only positive things. What I'm suggesting here is that maybe some of us tend to only allow the negative stuff, the sins, the failures, the weaknesses, the insecurities to enter into the equation of how we view things and how we see things, how we think of things. But if repentance means a change in thinking, in being freed, from thinking these same thoughts over and over again, sometimes about sin, sometimes about myself, sometimes about others, then John the Baptist, in this Advent, prepares people by saying Jesus is coming. He is the one who, according to Revelation 21, is making everything new. Repent. Stop thinking this way. Get ready to think differently. Get ready for some change. This is why Paul says in Romans chapter 12, do not be conformed to this world, but be changed. How? By the renewing of your, what? Mind. Be changed. How? By the renewing. Not of your lifestyle. Be changed. How? By the renewing, not of your workout, not of your credit history, not of your fashion look. Be changed by the renewing of your mind, the way we think. You see, for the people in the Bible, Christmas for these people was an opportunity to lay down their messiness and hear some good news. Repentance that John preaches is not about feeling bad. Feeling bad is easy. It's hope. It's a hope for change, a hope for the better. And I don't know about you, but especially these days in our country, that is something we need more than ever. And so for us, Advent then is more than just waiting for Christmas Day so that we can open our presents Advent, when we sing the Christmas hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, we're not just replaying what the ancient Israelites must have sung before the birth of Jesus. We're singing, Emmanuel, God is with us. And that he will come and make right all that's wrong with the world and all that's wrong with me. When we sing, let every heart prepare him room, we're not just thinking about the innkeepers at Bethlehem who didn't give Joseph and Mary any place to sleep. We're also thinking in our hearts, in our minds, our thoughts to be prepared to receive Jesus, to make a home in our life for him and all that he came to do. Good news, hopeful news. And if we have this, then nothing can stay the same. This is a repentance I think we need. To turn away once in a while from our old way of thinking. To trust and turn to maybe a different way of thinking. To change. Somebody once famous once said this, I can't remain unchanged and expect to have an impact on a broken world. And we can apply that to ourselves. 
I can't remain unchanged and expect to have an impact on my family. I can't remain unchanged and expect to make a difference in my marriage. I can't remain unchanged and expect to make a difference at work. I can't remain unchanged and expect to make our church grow or or be different. I can't remain unchanged and expect to make a difference in my life. If your heart is heavy today, especially during this time of year, then I want to encourage you, take heart. Because the joys of Christmas season aren't ultimately what we should be waiting for. Even the best Christmas you could get, the one in which you got everything you asked for, the one in which every member of your family is sitting around a table, speaking sweetly to everybody else, preferring to give rather than to receive, even that kind of Christmas will pale in comparison to the joy that God says he promises. So prepare. Get ready. Be transformed by the renewal of your thinking. Let the heartaches that you experience point you beyond Christmas to a better celebration that awaits you. You see, if you understand repentance this way, then repentance doesn't sound so bad. It becomes something that sounds kind of good, something that you want, maybe something you need. And maybe this is why all these people flock to John after he proclaims repentance. Maybe the call to repent The call to change our thinking, maybe that's not a threat. Maybe the call to repent is an invitation, an invitation to start seeing things differently, the possibility of thinking differently, maybe with more hope. Maybe the call to repent here is an invitation to some good news in the midst of your bad news. Maybe the the invitation to repent is to meet and receive a person that everyone else in the Bible was longing for and hoping for. The arrival, the birth of one who will pay a price for every weakness, every flaw, every sin, every wrong, every twisted thought around us, but also in us. We are invited to meet a person that can make things new. Maybe the call to repentance is an invitation to meet and receive Jesus Christ, the one who brings God to humans and humans to God by becoming both human and God. And because of this, it's like God is saying to you today, here's some corrective lens. Here's some corrective lens. May God give you some grace to repent to turn away from unproductive actions and thoughts that don't really serve us, don't serve God, nor our neighbors. May God give us strength to reach for those corrective lens that he's handing us so that we could see things a little differently. Minds that see God's glory in the midst of chaos. Minds that perceive God's hand at work in the midst of the most difficult situation. Minds that see God's grace working, even in the most annoying people in our lives. Minds that move us towards curiosity and not just judgment. May God burn away the old and make us new. And fill us with hopeful thoughts for this Christmas and for the new year, all because Jesus has come and he's coming again. Let's pray.